Hello, and welcome to Captive Audience. My name is Kelly, um, and today we have two new guests with me today. Um, would you like to introduce yourself, Ross? Sure. Hi, I'm Ross. Uh, I went to school with Kelly for architecture. Uh, I currently work in an architecture firm, and uh, my parents took us to theater quite a bit when we were younger, and I will say I haven't been to a theater in quite some time until Kelly... Uh, quite recently dragged me to a couple shows, so I'd like to credit Kelly for reintroducing me to the theater scene. Sarah, any, uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Sarah. I also went to Philly U with Ross and Kelly. I went for interior design, and I currently work in an architecture firm as an interior designer. My background in theater is mostly just, just that I'm a fan of musicals. Yeah, you see a lot of Broadway shows. Yeah. Yeah, do you go to New York I, I listen to a lot of the... I don't see a lot of them in New York. I see most of them once they're in Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly I just listen to the albums. Theater tickets are expensive. That is very true. Yeah. Today is the is the second part of the Super Terranian podcast. Um, Ross and Sarah both surprised me by going to this show. Um, they actually saw it the same day as Kevin who was in the last podcast that was um, not edited, not edited or recorded, but it'll be the the, the beginning, the podcast before this in order. Kevin and Aaron saw the show on different dates, but, but Ross and Sarah saw it on the same date with Kevin. And I also want to preface and that we're recording this podcast on the 10th of January. Um, we're doing this podcast now, and then we're going to do another podcast like five minutes after this one ends. Uh, but I wanted to preface that because they haven't, they're remembering all of the Superterranean questions and knowledge that they have from like however long ago we saw that, which was what, five months? A couple months, yeah. Oh, wow. A couple of months, but maybe. But it left such an impact on them that they really wanted to do this podcast. So um, I wanted to give them the chance. I'm not saying that you should have listened to the previous podcast, but there's going to be a lot of context in the previous podcast that is not going to be in this one. We haven't listened to it, so... They haven't listened to it. I haven't even listened to it um, because it's a monster to edit. Um, If we repeat things, that's just editing for me. Super Terranian is an improv-based theater piece done by um, Tony Award-winning, MacArthur Award-winning, Mimi Lian, and the company, the Philadelphia Theater Company, Pig Iron, um, which I was super lucky to work on um, in December of last year, or two years ago, technically. Um, And then in uh, this past summer, I was able to work with them. Um, and basically, because I worked on it, I was able to drag all of my friends to go see it. So I had a ton of friends go see it, um, a ton of my family saw it. And it's kind of like a uh, theater that you've never seen before. It's definitely not a Broadway show. Definitely mm-hmm. not um, like you've seen before. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not a musical. <laughs> it's not a musical. It's super unique. All of the sounds were found outdoors. Um, the lighting... Um, there was like some unorthodox lighting that we're going to get into later, maybe. Um, and all of the actors are, were improving most of it. And then Dan, who was the director, would cobble it together uh, in pieces. And we would try and basically make sense of the, of 
things that couldn't be made sense of. And yeah. I thought that was really cool. The show's mm-hmm. not improv, right? It started it's, as improv there is and a, they picked yes. what they liked. There's still right? a little bit of improv, but there is a format to it. Like right. the things, little scenes have names and there is an order to it. Yeah. So I'm going to start off by giving the questions to Sarah and Ross. And if they have questions, we'll talk through them a little bit. But Definitely have questions. Mm, but this podcast... Right, but this podcast is pretty free form, um, and if you're looking to talk about structure or anything, I would suggest you listen to the previous podcast. Um, do you guys have any who who would like to start us off with a question or with a conversation that we could have? Ross, any Ross is looking at me. We could start with costumes because I feel like they were important. Okay, yeah. and confusing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where did the costumes come from? Because there are various cutouts. Right. So the costumes, which were done by um, Oliveira, and a side note is that I'm going to have to put all of the names into the links because I don't have the program for this thing at all. And to credit people, I'm going to have to put that in later. But what's really cool about Oliveira is that she also did the costumes for, for Snow Queen, which is something that we're going to be talking oh, about amazing. later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So very different concept, very different um, like process, I would say. I think the holes in the costumes, and this is, I was not in the meeting where they talked about that. I would say that the holes are just kind of like, I feel like they to were draw own, your mind in. I feel like they were their own form of improv, mm. the costumes, because they weren't, not that they were unrelated, but it seemed like that was his own form of improv and they could have been many different things and still weren't. Well, it was meant to be a spa towel. I'm pretty, like, there was, there was, it was made out of a spa towel, but the reason that the holes were there were just kind of to intrigue you and to make your mind work and to to try and figure out what was happening. There, you know, there's no rhyme or reason why there was a hole here and not there. Yeah, well, I I think... I think the costumes are extremely important in this show because it, if I'm not mistaken, there were zero words, right, in this show. Yeah, no, they didn't speak at all. So I, I think the sets and the costumes, you know, drove the entire performance. And uh, I got almost zero context coming into this play, but it, it began with just the costumes and they were extremely textual. And I, for me at least... That really started to make you think, like, well, what's going on here? You know, what is this supposed to portray? And as the play unfolded, you know, we got to the costumes, the holes in them, and you're like, what does this mean? And I think that really drove a storyline that you almost, as a viewer, created in your own head and kind of formulated the plot around it. Yeah. Actually, did you want to say something? If you Sarah? remember the first person's costume, the first, very first person that comes on stage. She's not wearing anything. She's completely oh, naked. Right. That's and she true. watches okay. <laughs> the she watches those tubes with us. Yeah. Just like expand and what we assume is going through time for a very long time. But she just watches it and she looks equally confused and we're confused about her presence and the fact that she's naked and just came out of nowhere and she does not come back. I mean she in, does. In, she she does. She's another character, but she's another yeah, character. Yeah. Right. Well, so her name is Mel, and we talk. I do remember that we talk about her extensively. It has been a while since we've recorded the other podcast, but I do remember talking extensively about Mel. Um, I think it would be really cool because I think I asked this question in the previous podcast. Um, while we're on the the subject of story, 
is I would like to hear what everybody's, what they thought that the story was going through all three parts. Because this mm. is a question that I, I want to hear everybody's individual thoughts on what the story was before we deep dive. And before I, re I reveal basically and say again what I thought mine was. Um, but uh, Sarah, would you like to start off by saying like what you thought the story was? Sure. So the first part of the play is we are looking at basically a section of tubes and it seems like there's something growing and there's a lot of alarm like sounds and i assume that that is the passage of time and things have not gone well and when the set appears it's a, like a central tube which i assume is energy and life for the rest of humanity that's managed to exist and the show is about how they function in the future, which seems like it's probably underground. All of their life and energy seems to come from lights and the heat from the tube. And them, their exercising is just running around that tube because that seems like their central location. And they live in a spa, I suppose. Not that they live there, but that's where all of their energy comes from. I assume they go out into their real worlds and just live underground normally but we just see them recharging essentially in the show so what was your what was your interpretation of that last part the third part which part was when that? all of the uh tubes are revealed oh okay yeah so that's what made me think that it was the entire world living under there and this mm -hmm. was just their community that we were watching but they were telling us like oh everywhere is underground now and we are all living on these with these tubes that provide heat and energy and life for the people that are i assume most people died because <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was just a small cast no, but yeah, it seemed yeah. like most people died yeah. and this is what they resorted to is living underground yeah yeah ross um i think i got a very similar interpretation of the play i think that was very accurate um although i didn't interpret them as human i interpret them as like a some sort of amoeba or single cell organism that like started to form after humanity has passed mm -hmm. and we were in you know the sewers or you know leftover infrastructure of society and because there were certain parts where i, I recall one scene in particular where there was two uh, i guess we can call them you know humans or, or actors and they kind of fell to the ground in a very like blobbish form which made me think they weren't quite human but I, I did get the sense of kind of, you know, time passing, some sort of society failing, and this was the regeneration of um, life. And these organisms, you know, grew and became more. And then finally, the third part, when they revealed that we were watching one tube of hundreds of tubes, that it was, you know, f zooming back out. And almost as we watched for an, uh, seemed like an enormous amount of time in the beginning of these tubes and time passing, I thought the revealing of many tubes was almost like a fast forward from what we had seen to like, you know, time passing again and uh, the multiplication of, you know, a single community of organisms. So they were all related. So all three, it was like a scale. Yeah. It was a different scale of how you were seeing them. I think so. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's a good point. That could be a different scale. We were seeing the tube. Right, and then, and then we were seeing closer, and all of a sudden, and then okay, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting way. Yeah, there were things that made them seem like not humans, but there were certain things that made them seem very human. Yeah, like the fact that are you talking about the black and white 
the beings that were like the textures of the first are you talking about the first part of it oh no just oh, you're talking when, about... when the actors are when they're running that seems oh, very okay. human oh, that's yeah, true. yeah when they're yeah, like yeah. peeing in the middle and when they're throwing up that's all very human like i can't imagine that being that's true i mean other things do those things but yeah yeah like they, when they were running they were literally wearing like track gear yeah yeah well when i that like brings me back to like the human scale because when you were talking about amoebas i was thinking of the mel who was the woman who stepped out of that mm-hmm. part of it being um like fully without clothes and her being a human looking at these things brings them out of the like the small amoeba scale and it brings them into oh they're human scale so like what does that mean and i think that the my interpretation of the show and which is like nothing is correct and nothing is wrong and that's how i tell that's what i tell people about the show is nothing you say is wrong nothing you say is right and that's basically what they say throughout when Mimi and Dan go on podcasts or whatever, they're like, people will say the same things. They'll be like, was this the interpretation? Um, and they'll be like, no, nothing is correct and nothing is, is wrong. So like, it could be what you're saying it is, but it, I don't know, maybe it's something else. It means different things to different people. Uh, I always interpreted it as a, not like a, an interpretation of a love story in between Mel and Tony, which is what we were talking about before mm-hmm. with Ross off mic. Um, because Mel has this love story with Tony at the end of the whole show. And I always saw it as a progression of narrative because the way that I look at um, shows and the way that I look at at set design um, is actually very human-based, where I like to see the stories of the characters being brought out. Um, I don't really see the, the environment first i always see the characters first which i thought i think that the since we've had uh, three designers three architects and one interior designer who is we're all the same and don't let other architects tell you that you're not an interior that you're not a whatever i because whatever um i hate it we're all designers i hate it when people do that um, I think that the the very linear way that people that you and Kevin and Aaron and you all see it has been very environment based, which is really interesting because aside from mm-hmm. the fact that we bring up Mel, we never really talk about like what the human experience is in the environment. It's being talked about like it's a space with people living in it. Rather, there's a story with humans happening right. and there's an environment that they're living in. Which is, I actually, that's, I think that's not the way that it's supposed to be interpreted, but it's what Mimi wanted people to look at it and see was the environment and I, not so much the characters. They think, didn't have names, they didn't talk. Right, I think, and that's the, why. I think the lack of words mm-hmm. forces you to focus mm-hmm. on that. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I focused on the people part of it more. Like just the fact that she was having a love story. I didn't know if it, you know, I mean, I guess it was set in, a, in an apocalyptic future, but I cared more about what was happening. Mel discovers these amoeba-like creatures. Mel goes into the depths and she sees, you know, she has these experiences with people at a spa and then she finds love with Tony. And that's like the way that I read it. And I definitely feel that way now, listening to what you two thought of it and then remembering kind of what I said in the first podcast 
which might be a whole different story, I really don't remember. But the way that, that we as designers look at stuff, I should mention that Mimi studied architecture at Yale before she became a set designer. She went to Yale, studied architecture for four years, because they have a four-year program, um, and then mm-hmm. they went to... Ross and Kelly went to school for five we years. Went to, That's we, why we're she bitter. emphasized that. We're bitter. <laughs> we're bitter. It was a year. Um, and we uh, then we went to... She went to NYU for um, scenic design, which is a three-year program, and then came out and did all of this wonderful stuff, but I'm not going to tell you the history of her career. Um, but the way that she designs things has a really, uh, I would say, environmental aesthetic to it that with the, I would say, with the directors always comes back to characters in a human scale, which I think is really interesting. And I know that's what she's very interested in is she's very interested in how people um, move and interact and that nowhere is that more evident than Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet set. I know that she really... Her and Rachel Chafkin, who was the director on that, really advocated for renovating the theater. It's one of the only shows that has significantly renovated a theater for the set design. Um, And there's a reason that it won a Tony Award and she won so many awards for it. Because I think it it revolutionizes the way that people think about characters and and in their environment. And I really think that that's what she was trying to do with Superterranean. Um, and I think she makes that statement very clear. All the designers who, who have seen it, who I've seen it with, I think talk about it in the way that she would want it to be talked about, which you know, is environmental. Do you know what I just remembered? Is I think that they they definitely weren't human. Because I imagine the people that came in in the Tyvek suits, oh, right. they had to have been human and trying to figure out what was happening. Which is also what the audience is doing, trying to figure out what's happening. Mm-hmm. But they were looking around and they were confused and terrifying because they come right at the audience and Kelly stuck us in the front row. Yes, I yeah. did. The only reason I didn't fully panic is because I asked before the show, is anyone going to touch me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was like, nope, no one comes into the audience. And I was like, okay. So it was sure he was not yeah. coming at us, although he was looking at us and I was afraid. Yeah, I should I should mention that I was um, they put me down as usher uh, for the show for after like the first two previews or whatever they put me in the front row to make sure people wouldn't step on cables um, because everything moves um, and there are some really important cables that people were stepping on and it literally cannot be one inch off or the lights will look very different. <laughs> so um, yeah, but how did you feel being how did you feel being so close up? I. I wish I had, oh, I did talk about this with Aaron and Kevin because Kevin sat with you guys in the front row and Aaron sat further back and I might have talked to them about this, but what did you guys think about sitting in the, in the front row? Did you guys, did it, I think that it helps to immerse people, which is why I put people in the front row. Yeah. What did you guys think of it? You were scared? Yeah, I was a little (laughs) afraid. I don't know if it was because we were in the front row or I think something about there not being a physical lifted stage for that show was really smart because we were supposed to be underground. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought being in the front row, you're 100% correct. It, it definitely helped merge us into the play because as us as an audience is trying to figure out what is going on, there was literally nothing in front of us but the play happening. So we were, there was no distractions. We were just right up there almost in the performance 
trying to, you know, come up with our best interpretation of what was happening. Yeah. There's something that makes you feel like, I mean, we're all pretty creative people and think abstractly. And during the play, I was thinking, am I like really dense? Because I do not understand what's happening. I don't get it. And I was just coming up with all these different theories, which I imagine everyone is doing the same thing, just coming up with their own story for the show. Yeah. Because I guess it's supposed to make sense, but it's, there's no there's no right way for it to make sense, which is difficult to achieve. Yeah, I, I felt myself during the play um, coming up with these theories, and then like as things progressed, I was like, oh no, I can't be right because this just disproved that theory, and coming up with new theories. And I feel like almost us recording this so much after we saw the play, like it's giving us a lot of time to think about it. And I, I can't say like it's you know been on my mind stopping me from doing other things, but I would say the days following, I was definitely, it was in my head. I couldn't stop yeah. thinking about what it meant. <laughs> it's tough to process. Yeah. You know what I think is a missed opportunity, though? Yeah. Although Kelly said that on some nights they did this, but I really feel like that show has to have, like, a meeting after where everyone discusses what they just saw because, because you don't know what you just saw, so it would be good to hear other people's interpretation and grow on that because me and Ross talked about it for a long time after trying to figure out what we just watched yeah. yeah um i i so i told sarah that there may have been talkbacks and now that i'm thinking about it that might not have been true but there was a talk <laughs> so the show only ran for two weeks and there was a talk on on one of the saturdays there was a talk before like the seven o'clock show where mimi and not dan it was mimi and a few other people who were handpicked like the dean of architecture for penn was there and they were talking about the whole concept of the show and what it meant and where the inspirations came from. Um, and then also there's like a lot of, they did a podcast recording as well for the Fringe Arts uh, Festival podcast. Um, and as many links as I can find, I will put them in the show notes slash linked up um, while you're reading this so you guys can source out uh a ton of stuff about them talking about it because it, it truly is you really got have to listen to you really need to listen to them talk about it um because you know me kind of secondhanding secondhand blabbering on about it um when i truly was i pro i was not in the creative meetings i was just a pa um i was on the outskirts i did a few things like you know a little stage management work here and whatnot but i didn't move the laundry yeah. machine I did. I moved the laundry machine. That was always fun. And I definitely told that story in the first podcast. But I said that my favorite my favorite part about that was looking into the audience every night mm. and seeing all the different expressions on people's faces and, and what they were doing. Most of us were terrified. How did you interpret the laundry machine being the one you know pushing it? What was that supposed to symbolize? I have no idea. Uh, one of my favorite parts, and I'm not going to talk too much about the workshops because I really don't know what I'm supposed to disclose. I don't even know if I'm allowed to disclose this much. Who knows? We might be taken down. Um, but one of the parts of the workshop that I will discuss is that the laundry, the laundry machine or the dryer machine was actually there from the beginning. Um, it was something that happened in the December workshop. And actually, you know what? It is public knowledge, so they can't stop me. Wonderful. It's in the thing that maybe we'll watch as we take a break in between the two podcasts called working in theater um improv theater 
Um, and there's actually, I'm pretty sure there's a shot of Evelyn sitting on it and then us pushing, not us, but the cast pushing the dryer um, in one of the beginning iterations of the show, one of the first sets that we did. Um, so I pretty, I'm pretty sure that there's a, a video of that. Do, do you so know sorry. how long the beginning portion where we were watching the like fungus and the tubes grow was? Yes, so the first part is 14 minutes, the second part is 45 to 50 minutes, and then the last part is about 10 minutes. The okay. show was split into three so parts. a quarter of the show, that's <laughs> long. Yeah. And it feels long. Yeah. And at some point during it, I said to Ross, oh my god, is it a full hour of just this? And it's very... I want to emphasize how loud the uh, like alarms going off are. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one. Oh, I think only one person walked out, but one person did walk out, and that's actually when I said, "Oh my god, is this the full hour?" Because I was was like, "She knows what she's doing. She's leaving." I was like, "She's the only one leaving, though." Yeah, and, and it was fifteen minutes, but it was these section cuts, and there were some actors in there, but they were moving extremely slow which I feel like slowed down the 15 minutes. Yeah. And it, it felt very long. It yeah. was incredibly long. Yeah, I will say that the the way that it was done, I think... I, I was telling them before the podcast started, I think that the, the way that it looked backstage is much different than the way that people saw it in the front because the people in the back were moving. Like, we were moving. Like, we had to be out of the way and... Like, everything was, um, my only job in the back was the, was I had to be ready for the dryer push. Um, so I didn't have that much work, but everybody else had a job. Somebody would, there were people who were in harnesses, there were people who needed to be spotted, there were magnets going on in the back. I don't even know if you, if you noticed it, it might have been a little too small. I noticed it. Um, and then there were also, um... There were there were so there were so many things going on. There was a balloon um, that happened. There was uh, there were there were puppets that were being like put in that you were like, is this a person? No, it's something. It's well, it's something, but it's not a person. Kind of thing in the dark shaft. Um, And the thing that I I will say about that is that I wished. there was a little bit more light in the dark shaft because I feel like there were a lot of things going on that may have gotten, like there wasn't enough maybe reflection to really see it. But um, I think it's like a really like still part of the show and that's what I kind of like about it. It is how slow it is. And it really like puts you in because the transition of it, the first thing that happens in the second part is you get the blaring noise and then a bright light. And the whole first 14 minutes have been basically darkness, um, except for this one like white light, white tube light. And then you go into the second part and it blasts you with light. Um, And I think that's what's really cool is that that environment is very sterile, which means that the uh, lighting is very harsh in the, which means in in the second part, it's very harsh, the lighting. Yeah, well, I, I also, I didn't mind the dark tube being so dark because it was going back and forth. There was two tubes, a white tube and a black tube, essentially. And they were going back and forth for the 14 minutes. And uh, the stark darkness of the black versus the brightness of the white, I think, one, you know, the contrasts obviously played off of each other, but I, I interpreted time so well as like day versus night and a repetition of cycles. 
and time being passed. And I, I will say the dark too, but I did I did notice movement, and it may not have been as obvious as you know the very well lit white too. But I I think it worked very well. Well, in like hindsight, at the time it was terrifying. But <laughs> <laughs> to to make it clear, the uh, the first part, the uh, not the the hazmats that they were talking about before, where they were coming at you, was in the second part, yeah. and that set was a good ten yeah. feet yeah. away 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 from them, and the the um, set where they the first set where it was the tubes. Uh, was like directly in front of them. It, yeah, was, it was maybe like two or three feet, feet yeah. away from them, and that and which was very close. So it was all the action was happening very close to them. Well, I'm sure there was a part where you had to like look up. Well, yeah, kind of like that thing in a movie theater where you have to like look up if you're sitting in the first few rows. It's slow and eerie, and I was like, it, it's so long. I was looking around thinking. It's like in a movie where they like play the music real loud, but nothing's really happening on the screen, and you know someone's about to jump out at you. Mm-hmm. I was looking around like, who's going to jump out at us? It doesn't ever happen, but it starts to make you question everything, which I think is r- really important for the rest of the show, is to make you question everything. Did Mel scare you when she came out? Of the tomb? When... When she came, she out, naked, came yeah. out in the yeah no she, no. she comes out very no. slowly she does it's not frightening you know she's coming out no yeah she doesn't look like she's gonna attack yeah. you it looks like she's just watching it the same way you are but she's naked and you don't know why she's naked yeah you never really find out why she's naked yeah. there was no reason for that yeah. actually I don't think it's important <laughs> I don't I don't want to demystify it by explaining what happens um, backstage on this because it's it's a really cool thing and I feel like when I start dissecting what's happening in the background it starts to lose a little bit of his ma- of its magic so I'm gonna not disclose that and I'll tell them later kind of how it was done um, breakdown by breakdown because I was back there 10 nights and also was there through them workshopping it so I can call stage directions basically in front of them and kind of tell them how it was um, but I'm gonna spare you all of that um, and um, is there are there any other are there any other questions that you you have about that or about any about anything anything you want to talk about no i think i'm okay i think we we touched on everything there really yeah i feel like we didn't i feel like we only touched on a couple yeah things, i feel but like i can't only... think of like specifically we started with costumes we never actually went to a second topic yeah um, well i mean um, we did but not on purpose yeah what did you i will personally say that the and maybe this is something I can hear from the two of you. My personal favorite part out of the three parts is the last part. Um, I will say I'm biased because I got to wa- I got to just sit and watch the third part from the back. Um, and one of my favorite things um, that happens is uh, Chelsea and Evelyn. Okay. Evelyn is the tall, skinny Asian girl with like the long ponytail, and she does like dancing. Um, and then Chelsea is the one, she's the short blonde girl. It's one of their heads, like the underneath part shaved. Yes. Which one? That was Chelsea. Okay. Yeah, and she's... Okay, so she's the one that threw up at one point. Yes, she threw up. From running. Yes. And so they do kind of like a mimicked dance under underneath the, what the, kind of lights? The lights. Yeah, the luminescent. But the lighting of it is really gorgeous. I have like a photo on my Instagram that I'm definitely going to put down here. It's my favorite picture. 
Um, when the lights are all really low. When the lights are, are, are all the way down basically to the floor. Yeah, and it's they, just they that come to, and the If empty you were set. standing, your head might mm-hmm. hit them. They were that low. Yeah, they were definitely low. People had to lie under them, basically. Um, and they basically did this dance under them every night. And it was my favorite part of the show that I got to watch because it was just like so elegant and like such a, a beautiful display of dance and physicality it was in the back of like one of like in the corners and that was not the focus the focus was really mel and um tony doing their balloon kisses but i was not there um to i was not like in the left in the line of sight for them and i could not stick my head out and and look so the dancing was like probably one of my favorite parts um what were your favorite well, you just touched on Mel and Tony, and I think we kind of mentioned the love interest of the whole story before, but that kind of was a very... It, it, there was, like, this kind of love story happening the entire time that you weren't sure about. There was nothing that, you know, called out a love interest, but it, it felt like there was a connection between the two characters, and it kind of progressed as a story, and you were like, oh, are, are, was something happening there between those two characters? And I think the thing that, that you maybe forgot it's been a while is in there were in interspersed in the second part during the spa there were a few times where they would interact with each other like there was one point where mel was the only one sitting on a stool petting each other yeah and she would she would take out her i don't know organs her goo whatever and tony would be there with like a basket and she would throw it in the basket and they would have a little interaction and then he would go back with the basket and so there was a little bit of a setup in the second part i think where like my mind really starts to work it's like okay where's the setup in the first part but i think that i think that the love story was i don't even know if it was intentional that's between the creative team and 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 them but for me, I really enjoyed that story of, of Mel and Tony, of characters. Cause, yeah, because there wasn't a lot of yeah, character work. Yeah. yeah. First of all, I think Mel is just a great actress. Um, I've seen Mel in other things. I've seen Mel in A Hard Time, and Mel is super funny. Um, but just seeing kind of like all the subtleties, because they can't talk and everything, I think was a really like cool treat. Everybody on that team actor wise they were all like super talented and they all had like really cool specialties i think that rolls and tony are super intellectual people and i think they're probably the smartest people i know um i think salary is really good at movement work salary is probably one of the best people i've ever seen in movement work in ways that you like wouldn't understand the one who got like her belly her uh, her stomach was showing yeah her yeah her stomach was being jiggled by a plunger um, oh yeah. Oh right. Yeah, that was but, weird yep. and sexual. Yes. Yeah. And then the um and then like you know Chelsea and Evelyn are both really good dancers in like different ways. And then like I mean they all were just so cool. But uh, and then like Isaac who definitely sings opera and I was not with him when he did that. That was in a different workshop. But I they were playing a video uh, of him like singing opera and he can fully just go classical opera which was really cool so they all have like really unique skills that they all bring to the table and i thought that was really cool um about the actors but ironically i i saw no there was there it definitely is no singing i saw no dancing um i also didn't see a love story no i just assumed that they're trying to survive yeah it's just this is who they're stuck with and this is what they need to do to live. Mm-hmm. So they're helping each other out. And I guess, not that it was sexual, but you assume that it's sexual. 
and that they're probably all together in one way or another. At one point, someone pulls floss out of the other person's mouth. Oh for yeah, that was a, a very long time. Yeah, the whole tube of floss, I assume. Yeah, a friend, a friend of mine, um, a friend of mine who it will never be on this podcast. His name is David. He saw this show and he also gave, went in with zero context at all, other than Kelly has been working on this project and she really wants you to go. Um, hated the body horror aspect of it, and there is a little bit of body horror. Um, and for those who don't know, body horror is basically when people do stuff with their bodies that they're like not oh, is not you, they're not supposed to really do. So there was a moment where um, Jen pulled like kind of kneaded Tony's face and then pulled floss out of his mouth. Oh yeah, and the like the skit of it was called Silkworm, which I really I enjoy that. But um, but that was one of the really cool things that happened with that one. And then there was another one. There was like a part where Jen cuddled with some with a sausage that was flesh colored and also had veins on it. And that was like another little body horror thing where it was squished out of the tube. And then she kind of rolled with it for a little bit. And then it. Oh it was, yeah, what was coming out of the tubes? Yeah, it was kind of haunting. Well, that was, it was like, like the black it was too, sludge oh. or whatever. Yeah, I assume it was more of what whatever they're made of. But it's coming out of the tubes. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't remember any black thing coming out of the tubes. I remember the flesh sausage coming out of the tubes, which was the flesh-colored, veiny sausage that looked like a person. You don't remember either? No, I don't oh. recall. It's like, this is going to make me so long. mad because I, I tech this show. It makes me mad that I don't remember this. It's like... But it it's came like out of a vent. We, it came out of a vent. Comes out of cloud? The yeah, yeah, no, I'm not it's talking like about we that. I'm talking about the other watching, one. Mm-hmm. But it, then you finally see it come out of the tube, which is yeah. why you think that you were initially seeing a section of it. Mm-hmm. And it starts to burst from the tube, mm-hmm. which makes you think that they're completely separate from the tube, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh. They're not inside yeah. of it. The, yeah, the black cloud is, is different than the flesh sausage. The black cloud is more I don't about. The flesh sausage. I don't either. No. Oh, I do. It's like, in terms of the. <laughs> In terms of the black cloud, um, I think that's, yeah, I think that's entirely separate from people. It's just like an entity that comes on stage and <laughs> like washes people away. And that's a really interesting part of, I really could get you guys to watch the improv. There's so many parts of it. Yeah. And they're all together. They're confusing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems like if you just watch like bits of it, you would like understand maybe a trailer of something, but all together, it's a lot and it's confusing. Yeah. So we, we talked about like Broadway theater and the next show that we're talking about is much more like a linear, not, it's definitely not linear, but it's a more like a traditional kind of theater show. Um, so what did you guys think of going to a show that was like more improv and, and like less structured, I would say, was that like, what kind of experience did you have at that? Would you go see another one? Would you go see another devised piece of theater? I would. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, you'd mentioned, you know, we went in there with zero information. We had just known you had worked on it and you were very proud of it. So we went to see what you, you were so um, invested in. And it, it had been nothing like I'd ever seen before. But, I mean, we're still talking about it. You know, we, we'd walked away about it, thinking about it for days. And I, I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, it, it definitely is interesting. It's. I think it's important if you go into the show... It's not like something you would see on Broadway. It's not, it's almost not even a play. It seems like it should have its own category. I don't know what they would call it, 
but it's like, it's like a, it's like immersive art essentially yeah it's its own thing yeah the li- the link that I'll put in the description from uh, working in theater is all about device theater and that is basically the category it belongs to is device theater oh, I ha- already had a name <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you for not knowing what it is. I didn't know what it was. You know, I didn't, I really fully was not ready for an experience like that. But it is like, you know, what an experience, like what a first show to work on and to like immerse you into theater making and and to experience. I really, really, I really enjoyed working on it. But what did you guys, what do you guys think of, so would I have like, a few friends, I guess, to go back and see another devised piece if you guys wanted to. There's a lot of devised pieces in New York. Pig Iron does a lot of the work here in Philly, but there are some pieces that are devised that are in, in New York that I know of. I know a lot less in Philly if there are devised pieces going on. I know a lot more happening in New York. Yeah, I, I would definitely, you know, go see one if you had another to suggest. And I, I would definitely recommend it. It was, um, I, I think it was a very um, unique kind of theater that really makes you think about theater in general and you know different types of acting and different ways to portray stories and you know without words and sets and costumes and body language and you don't and sound even and lighting it, it really emphasizes those those um less enforced parts of a, a typical play yeah it gets you talking about the things you don't you wouldn't normally think about like the show it's kind of weird and it's a little uncomfortable but it's like thinking about it after and talking about it after the show is when it becomes like way more interesting Mm -hmm. not that it's not good not that you can't not enjoy it during it's just you don't know what's happening during you don't you don't know where to think you don't even know how to process so many things are happening you don't know the story you got no context (laughs) yeah i think that's one of the one of the really interesting things that uh, me and Mimi have in common, if I may as may may be so bold as to say that like we're similar in some way. Um, I think the way that we both think about theater is any reaction is a good reaction. So if somebody is uncomfortable, that's a good feeling. If somebody is um, excited yeah, and, it's and not nervous, a good feeling, but yeah. it's a feeling. Yeah, but it's purpose. a feeling. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. that's that's definitely how I feel about how I feel about Superterranean and how I feel about all of my sets going forward is I like to evoke a response. And if that means that you're uncomfortable or that you're um, elated or happy, or it could be the opposite if you're sad and, you know, closed in and claustrophobic, like that's fine too. I think that it's good to have responses to theater that aren't necessarily always happy. Yeah, well, I feel um, in the same way people go to like horror films to feel scared even Mm -hmm. though no one really wants to feel scared but it's just it's a different feeling and to like evoke it in a strong way where you're not in any danger it's different than how you would normally react to things and it's I don't know how to say that it's cool to think about I guess (laughs) yeah well um it was great to talk about this show uh I'm so glad that I got to talk about it with two different sets of people in a really good you know, long form podcast. This podcast is going to be really long as a part, but I think we're gonna we're gonna leave it there unless anybody has anything else to say. In which case, we'll sign off. And no, are we good? No, yeah, yeah there's good? so much more to say, but it's I don't even know. Yeah, what, we'll just so. go on yeah, and on and on. And on. Yeah, there's another there's another podcast. They'll get the rest of it. Yeah, well, maybe in another 
you know, years. So we'll come back and we'll yeah. see if there are any lingering questions that you guys have. Um, if I'm really hurting for content. Um, <laughs> but um, thank you. Thank you to you guys for being on this podcast. Thanks for having yeah. us. Um, we're, I'm going to see you guys in five minutes to record the next one. But um, I'm glad that you guys. I'm really glad that you guys <laughs> came. I'm really um it was really a treat that you guys came. I was really excited and nervous during the entire run, especially when I was pushing. Did the you dryer. know that we were coming to that? I did not know. I don't remember. I didn't know you were coming. I don't remember if we told I, you. Or maybe you didn't tell either. me what day you were coming. Or I no, feel what, like you told no, Ross you about were, the show, and yes, Ross said you we're going were, to the show, and told me the day. But I don't think he ever yeah, told you. The I day. lied. Ross was not the surprise. Sarah was the surprise. Kevin was the surprise. Oh. Kevin came, and I did not know Kevin was coming. Kevin came by himself. Kevin well. came by himself, and bold. just happened to go on the same day as <laughs> Ross and and Sarah did. Do you know I probably would have had a very different reaction if I had went by myself and sat by myself. You definitely would have had a different yeah. response. Yeah, it's a it's good to see with people that you can talk about it with. Yeah, I think you need to discuss it after. You can't just see it and sit with it. Mm. You'll go crazy. You will go crazy. Yeah, <laughs> someone else needs to have seen it. It's hard to like explain <laughs> it to other people, and this podcast probably sounds ridiculous. <laughs> Not if they have the if, con- not if the viewers if have the context of seen, listening to the previous one. If you've seen it, you'll be like, "Oh yeah, they're totally right." And if not, you're like, "This this wasn't even a real play. What are they even talking about? No <laughs> one saw anything with naked people in Tyvek suits." And no, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Maybe we're all just crazy. This never happened. No. The, well, the point that I want to get at is I want to eventually be seeing these shows as soon as they start with the friend. Um, that I bring along and then recording the podcast kind of like we're doing tonight which is right after for Snow Queen not for Super Trainian, um, and talk about it right afterward and then getting it, getting it out as fast as possible so that people do have a chance to go see the show which is why Snow Queen will be coming out first but that's you know the hope for later podcasts uh, but the schedules that me and my friends have do not work that way because they're on a designer architect schedule and I'm on a freelance set designer schedule so i mean who knows how long i'll even be able to keep doing this but it was great to have you on thank you so much for being on this podcast it was great hearing your thoughts yeah thanks for having Um, us yeah thanks for thanks for going so (laughs) i'm really glad that you guys liked it we're just gonna sign off right here follow along in the in the notes or the link dump or the show notes if you want to find more context to some of the things we're talking about Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.